come back together and to our seats. Thank you, choir, Megan, Jeremy, all. That was a beautiful anthem. Good morning. Each week it is a privilege uh, for me to be fed from God's word through Randy and Dan's teaching, as well as the Sunday school class with Bo and Gordon, so thank you. It's a privilege for me to sit in those under that teaching of God's word each week. Um, And so it's an honor to be here this morning to bring God's word to you today. So Carmen and I are missionaries serving with Paraclete Mission Group. We served for over a decade in Eastern Europe, and now we travel around the world offering something called the Deep Community Experience, which is an invitation to live from a whole heart and authentic community. And so if you'd like to know more, have more information about our ministry, there are cards like this on each of the back tables uh, as you exit, and there also is a sign-up sheet for... If you'd like to receive, we put out a monthly newsletter about our ministry, so if you'd like to receive that um, and continue praying for us, we do thank you, uh, Central, for your support and for your prayers uh, as we travel around the world, so thank you for that. We have the privilege of working with courageous people around the world who are Christ followers and want so much for others to be Christ followers as well. Yet they want a place to process the sin that so easily entangles them. A place to process the waywardness of their hearts. The battle between their old self and their new self. And the one truth I see again and again is that there's a huge connection between our authenticity, our realness, our naming the truth, and the glory of God. I've experienced it in my own life. And I've experienced it in the lives of others over and over again. We will be looking today at a passage of scripture that talks about this very thing. So if you could stand with me if you are able as we read 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 10. Let me pray. Lord, may may you work in our hearts today. May we see your light shine in our brokenness. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 10. <clears throat> Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This is God's inspired word for us today. You may be seated. 
So notice in verse 1 there, having this ministry by the mercy of God, what is this ministry that Paul is talking about? Well, he's writing, Paul is writing the Corinthians after they've gone through some challenges and have even challenged his own authority. So he goes back in chapter 3 and Paul contrasts the old covenant between God and Israel, mediated by Moses, and the new covenant between God and the Corinthians, mediated by Jesus. The old covenant was glorious and even made Moses himself shine with God's glory. But the glory eventually faded, not to mention that the laws of the covenant were ineffective at truly transforming Israel. The new covenant, by comparison, is even more glorious because the resurrected Jesus is the very glory, the glory of God. And he lives on forever. In chapter 4, then, Paul is saying, what is this ministry of God? It's God's spirit that now is transforming people. This ministry he's talking about in chapter 4, God's spirit now transforming people. Now that is good news. And who doesn't want to share in God's own glory? But Paul goes on to show how the paradox of the cross turns upside down the Corinthians' ideas of glory and success. And in our own lives, we may also have this idea of God's glory and success turned upside down. So I was born in the deep south. I was born in the southern islands of Chile. So it's the southernmost country in the world. (laughs) My parents were missionaries there. And when I was young, another missionary read to me the story of Pilgrim's Progress. And I had a choice to make. Do I want to go to the celestial city or do I want to stay in the city of destruction? Now, at a young age, it didn't seem like too difficult of a decision to make. Of course, I wanted to go to the celestial city and not the hill. The issue is that my very young conversion was motivated by a fear of hell and not a call to live. See, God is telling a larger story throughout Scripture from eternity past to eternity future, and it's actually a love story. Not Hallmark but a love story, better than Hallmark. (laughs) But I don't often think in terms of God's larger story from eternity past to eternity future. I think in the terms of my birth and my death and the in-between. And so in my heart, I say, God, I have accepted you into my story to make my life work. So now can we negotiate the terms? I call that prayer. Christ did not come to make your life work but to actually give you life. He did not come to make your life work, but to give you life. It has taken me a long time to step out of behavioral management and performance Christianity and actually hear the call to live and have God's Spirit doing His transforming work in me to be formed like Jesus. Now, if I'm ominous, I'm not so interested in God's great story. I'm more interested in making my life work here on earth. That's what I really want. I want my life to look, you know, like this. This is a, uh, a beautiful clay pot, right? And if anybody wants their life to look like this, it's me. I want it to perform. I want it to look shiny. Everybody can see it. It looks beautiful. And I even might spiritualize it by saying, I've got to look good so God can shine his light in me. Oh, wait. Not much light there, but. 
hey, anyway, we spiritualize it, right? God can, I've got to look good so that God can shine his light through me. And that's how we want our lives to look. And there it is. John 10.10 The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. This is his mission statement. Early on, we all experience a shattering of life. When I was in the second grade, we lived in the big city of Santiago in Chile. I attended a missionary school there, and I was an average second grade student who was not rambunctious and knew it was important to avoid any conflict and never was in trouble. But I remember one particular spring day in October, Southern Hemisphere, (laughs) that I was sitting at my little desk in our traditionally decorated classroom. And our classroom was at the end of the school in a wooden structure that looked more like a one-room schoolhouse. The wooden walls were painted white. And the outside of the school was painted uh, mint green with a large soccer field just outside. And there were a lot of windows. And the window door, the window door led down out of the classroom, led down to a porch, and then down some stairs out to the soccer field. Now, my second grade teacher was Mr. R. He was a tall, young, physically strong man from Texas. He always wore cowboy boots, and he was not the type of teacher that you necessarily became close to. But nonetheless, he was my teacher. And I looked up to him, even maybe with a bit of fear. Well, on this particular spring day in the early afternoon, my teacher became irritated. I do not remember what irritated him, but he eventually burst into anger, and I was a direct object of his anger. As he came towards me, I knew I was in grave danger, so I bolted out of my seat, ran out the door, down those steps, and into the soccer field. Now, you would think that a teacher would come running after you and catch you as a second grade boy and hold you and let you know that it's all going to be okay. But that wasn't my experience. He certainly came running after me, but instead of catching me, he began to kick me with his cowboy boots, pretending that I was a soccer ball that was trying and he was trying to make a goal. At that point, I blacked out. I don't remember anything else except that my mom came to pick me up. And I remember the silent car ride home. I knew somehow I was the one in trouble for causing a scene at the school. It was never talked about again, but I knew from that day forward I was not to cause any scenes. I was to know the rules before anyone else knew the rules, that I could obey them. I was to be quiet and not not create a scene or even be seen. Don't raise your hands, don't ask questions, just be invisible, it's not safe out there. I was physically assaulted, my heart was assaulted, and then abandoned with nowhere to go. But God, your job is to give me the life I want. Your job is to make my life work. I need you, God, to cooperate with me, to make me feel the way I'm entitled to feel. Maybe you need my help, God. So I begin to develop strategies that will make my life work apart from God. Do you see the strategies I took from that experience? Just be invisible. Keep a low profile. Know the rules and follow them exactly and read the situation and be who you need to be in every situation. 
And so I go throughout life developing my strategies and I eventually spiritualize it and say I'm going to go help God out. And by the time I'm 30 years old, I find myself as a missionary in Romania well entrenched in my own personal strategies. I've learned people are not safe. Figure it out on your own and don't trust anyone. Just make it work. So there we were, just a few months after landing in Romania. It was a cool, crisp morning. I was driving to this northern city of Cluj-Napoca with our country director. He had set up his own kingdom, and we were kind of disrupting his venture. So as we drove, I remember these words. He said, Dale, I don't think this is going to work out. You're too evangelical for this ministry. I don't want you here anymore wow i had been working since junior high school to get to this point devastating words god i'm here to serve you why aren't you making my life work i trusted you to make my life work i came all the way to romania so you'd make my life work and you see god says your greatest problem is not your suffering your greatest problem is not your ache or even your life not working Your biggest problem is your inability to love. Wow. When I walk away from the life God offers and want something lesser like making my life work, I lose the ability to offer the life, that life to others. And I say, I don't like that deal, God. It's not a good deal. God, it certainly feels like my suffering is my biggest problem. And I've got a list right now of big problems. And God says, I'll be with you in them. Even in Ephesians 1, he says, you have every spiritual blessing. And I say, well, how about a million dollars? That would fix my problems. (laughs) Isn't it interesting? We can figure out what to do with a million dollars more than we can figure out what to do with every spiritual blessing. God promises he will never leave us. His transforming work will be in us and make us more like Jesus. So that we can shine the light through the broken shards where the breaks are. We can shine the light through our broken vessels to put his love on display. And we say that's not a good deal. I don't want to shine his light through my weakness. I want to shine his light through my strength. I like the vase when it was looking good. I'm glad you are with me, but I guess i got to do more for you. So I'm going to go serve at Central, and you'll protect me, right, God? Now I'm going to go give to the poor, and you'll make sure that I always have enough, right? Now I'm going to go as a missionary, and you'll make sure nothing bad happens to my children, right, God? In 2006, we were in transition between our ministry years in Romania and our ministry years coming up in Hungary, and we needed some medical checkups. The doctors let us know that our two-year-old Rebecca needed open-heart surgery. God, this is not the deal we worked out. I don't want to have to take her body and lay on that operating room table and put the mask on her. Knowing they're going to stop her heart. This is not a good deal. I know you're good, God, but does this mean she'll be okay? 
And like Adam and Eve in Genesis, I take matters into my own hands. I can't trust God anymore. They couldn't trust God. They took matters into their own hands and took the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they turned their backs on the tree of life. So when they left the garden, they actually left with the knowledge of good and evil. But what did they leave behind? Life. So evil doesn't care if you sit on the branch of good or evil as long as you don't find life. You can be doing good behavior, serving in the church, or doing bad behavior, watching things on the internet. Evil is happy as long as you don't find life. See, the problem Jesus came to solve is not my bad behavior or to forgive me of my bad days. The problem he came to solve is that I don't have life. So here's the deal God offers. He gets the document ready and he's like, we're going to make a deal. And he puts the pen out and he says, I get all of your sin. All of it to come out of you and pierce me and break me and rip through me. I own it. And you get all of my righteousness. How much of my sin does he get? All of it. How much of his righteousness do I get? All of it. Well, thank you, Lord. Then I'm going to go serve you. And and he pulls back the paper. And he says, that's not the deal. The deal is I get all of your sin. And you get all of my righteousness. Well, then, Lord, wow. I'll learn to love you more. I'll keep my clay pot looking good. I'll try not to sin anymore. He pulls back the paper. That's not the deal. The deal is, here it is, I get all of your sin, past, present, and future, and you get all of my righteousness. Well, this is incredible. I'm going to serve you, teach Sunday school. I'm going to be useful to you, God. He says, that's not the deal. The deal is, I will take all of your sin, all of it. And you will get all of my righteousness. And I will never leave you. I will always be with you. And I will call you my beloved. And you will have life and have it abundantly. The problem is we have the wrong definition of life. We define life as having a decent job with a good paycheck. We define life as having good health. We define life as having a great marriage. Or we define life in a little more complex way by making sure that I serve. So that I feel needed. We define life by always being right. So that we never feel unworthy. We define life by calculating our risk. So that nothing ever bad happens. We define life by making sure everyone sees me as unique. So that I feel seen. We define life by measuring the fun and adventure in it. So that we don't feel empty. We may even define life. By the success of our children. So when we feel broken, disappointed, sad, confused, we say, God, we got the raw end of the deal. We may even look for strategies like alcohol, scrolling the internet, binge watching Netflix, or busyness to numb our pain. But you see, the life that God calls us to is described in 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory 
and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that this is in this world because of sinful desires can you hear that we are partakers of the divine nature this is good news We are partakers of the divine nature. This is the call to live. The nature that energized Jesus for 33 years. The nature that took him to the cross and kept him on the cross. The nature that led Jesus to do all that he did. The nature of absolute, radical, other-centered love is now the core of my being. Wow. How come it comes out so little? (laughs) You know, as... One Sunday morning, we were getting ready for church. Now, in our house, we have a shoe rack by our, our, in our garage, and everybody's shoes get to go on it. And the shoe rack is there, has its own spots, and it's even labeled by everybody's name so they know where their shoes are. But the issue in our family is that people in our household seem to like to take off their shoes anywhere in the house. They forget the shoe rack is there. Greg specifically likes taking his shoes off on Saturday night right at the front door. And he wears a very large shoe. If some burglar comes in, he's going to be taken out by those shoes. (laughs) So I might get a little frustrated on a Sunday morning as I look around this house and see all these shoes everywhere. So I begin going around this particular Sunday morning. I'm picking up the shoes. Here's Greg's shoes, big shoes. Here's Rebecca's shoes. Here's Carmen's shoes. She's the one that got us the shelf. What? Um, so, you know, and I'm just, I got a big pile of shoes. And I go out to the garage. And, of course, in my servant heart with my divine nature, I put all those shoes on each of the shelves. No. I dump the big pile right in front of the shelves. Looks like a huge shoe pile there. And then I say, come on, everybody. It's time to go to church. Go, Come get your shoes on. They'll see what the problem is. And here they come. And Carmen says, what's going on? I say, nothing. Carmen says, why the intensity? I'm not intense. (laughs) Come on, it's time to go to church. And Carmen and the kids could see the anger in my heart, not the divine nature. And they all sat sat down in the living room and Carmen said, you are welcome to go to church, but I cannot go and act like everything is okay. And everyone looked at me and invited me to sit down. They asked me to engage the nature of Christ in me. And after a while, I was finally able to name the hatred that was in my heart as I cleaned up their shoes. And there was an invitation to repentance, connection, to wholeness, to relationship, to life. And in repentance, God's light was shining through the broken pieces. My broken shards. See, John 17 gives us Jesus' prayer. He's just about ready to go to the cross. Is this going to work? Here's what he says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, and they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. 
one of Jesus' greatest prayers for us is for our, our ability to relate to one another as the Trinity relates. Perfect small group. Can we relate as the Trinity relates? To put his love on display. That's Jesus' prayer for us. Can you love as we love in the Trinity? What God wants to transform in us is greater than we've even imagined. He wants to transform the very way we relate because he calls us to relational holiness. Can you see how in the shoe story, I wanted God to make my life work, which meant everyone getting in the car with smiles on their faces, acting like nothing had ever happened as we go to church in silence. And there I am in relational sin, which is when I move towards you with my well-being in mind at any cost to you, which is what I did with the shoes. Relational sin, when I move towards you with my well-being in mind at any cost to you. But God was calling me to life. Relational holiness, this is what Jesus did. It's when I move towards you with your well-being in mind at any cost to me. And he went all the way to the cross. We're called to relational holiness. When I move towards you with your well-being in mind. At any cost to me. And we fall short of it every day because we fall short of the relational glory of the community that is God. So back to 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. As God continues to transform us, the invitation is to trust the Father that my brokenness actually reveals God's glory. If I glue this clay pot back together and I put the broken shards around and I were to glue it all back together and put the light in, the clay pot may not look beautiful, but his light would shine through. You would see the beauty of the light inside. I no longer need to hide my brokenness. I no longer need to posture so that people see me or God in a certain light. I don't have to perform. I don't have to do the checklist. I don't need to make my life work. I can actually rest in the good news. Jesus has taken all of my sin and I receive all of his righteousness. And the divine nature is in me. He will never leave me and there's nothing that can separate me from his love. That's good news. And I begin to move towards you with your well-being in mind at any cost to me. And so in verse 13 to the end of the chapter, we have the hope of the resurrected Jesus in the midst of living in our own broken systems. Since we have the same spirit, verse 13, of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I speak. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that we who raise the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as the grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving 
to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Through our outer, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for his light, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We don't need to lose hope. He's at work in us. Can we keep our eyes on the unseen which lasts forever? Can we find life in Jesus? Christ did not come to make our lives work, but to give us life. He's the one who says, I love you and I delight you in you. And yes, there's, there's a lot of broken pieces here. <laughs> and when your world falls apart, Jesus says, I'm not going anywhere. I am with you. I'm staying. I'm not leaving. I love you. I have you. You are mine. My glory is in you. Wow. That's good news. Will I choose to believe it? Let's pray. Lord, may you give us the faith to believe the life you give us is better than making our lives work. May you give us the faith to engage with repentance regarding our strategies and trying on our own to make life work. May you give us the faith to, tr- give us faith to trust you with who you are and with how you see us, loved, delighted in, significant, and wrapped in your robe of righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for taking all of my sin, past, present, and future. And giving me all of your righteousness. In the name of Jesus. Amen.